0: Thank you, Pastor, for giving uh, me this opportunity, and thank you for being a good turtle. For those of you who don't understand a turtle, uh, it's very inspirational, because a turtle cannot go forward without sticking his neck out. And he's been sticking his neck out now for a few years, and so far, he's still attached. Uh, one time, when I was just uh, a little fella, we had a creek that was about oh, wasn't too far from the house, And we were explorers. We went down to the creek, explored everything there. And there was this snapping turtle right there. And he stuck his neck out. And I, being the curious fellow that I was, thought I would peck it on the top of the head. So I went just like that. And it went like that. And it had my thumb. And my brother said, did you hear the thunder? And I never understood what that was all about, the turtle let go. And there's an old saying that the turtle won't let go until it hears thunder. So whatever. But you stuck your neck out, and hopefully you don't get bit today. Uh, But I do appreciate the chance to come uh, because of the burden of the message that's on my heart. I come today. I want to do these three things. I want to challenge your thinking. To challenge your thinking young and old alike, challenge your thinking. Secondly, I plan to confront a major issue at which I am at odds with the philosophy and advocacy of our world today. And then to give a call to action. If you like me, See the news. I talked to somebody here. They said they get so upset with the news, they just don't watch it. The other day, I was in uh, the living room, and the news was on, and something came on in the news, and my wife got up, and she said, I can't stand it. She walked out. Well, we all know what that's like, right? Every one of us here, we get so frustrated with what we see and what we hear, and, 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 and there are times... I, I am as much like that as anybody else. I start talking to myself, talking to the TV, talking to anything that will listen to me. It doesn't seem to do any good, but I talk. And then I remember what I was told when I was a little boy. I said, count to ten. Any of you ever hear that? Just count to ten? All right. Count to ten. Another one is uh, pause. Take a breath. And then... The Spirit of the Lord reminds me of something that all of us here are probably familiar with. It's Psalm 46, verse 10. And Psalm 46, and verse 10 says, that you can all quote it, I'm sure, Be still and know that I am God. There's a lot packed in that. Be still and know that I am God. If you stop and think about it, what does that say? First of all, we cannot put God in a box. We can't comprehend all of that by any stretch of imagination. Uh, So one of the things, we'll just hit three major points on this. First of all, remember, God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. There's no limitations to the power of Almighty God. His only limits are limited by his holiness, but he is not limited in power. He can make the sun stand still and keep everything going. God has proven he's omnipotent. He's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. He knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. He knows everything there is to be known in all of creation. And God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present at the same time. There is no place where God is not. So the attributes of God, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. And we sang this song here just a little while ago to begin with. How appropriate this song was we sang in the very beginning. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 3, it says this. Through faith we understand That the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, everybody knows, in the beginning, God created. And he framed it. And the song that we sing, I thought, was so appropriate. It was that first song, uh, number 9, Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore. It says, Praise the Lord, for he has spoken worlds, his mighty voice obeyed. Laws which never shall be broken, for their guidance he hath made. Did you hear that? Laws that he has made shall never be broken. That's what he said. Now, I want you to consider Psalm 19. This, again, these are just familiar things, but I think we need to hear some of these familiar things. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1, says, The heavens... Declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language, which their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their worlds to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Let's get the idea? It's the sun starts here and it starts his journey. It goes around and around and around and around. And you know what? It comes back. How many were worried about the sun making its rotation today? Not one of us worried about it. God put it in there. He gave the rotation, He established the laws. He's done all of that. It says, which is like a bridegroom coming out of the chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and the circuit under the ends of it. And there is nothing hidden from the heat thereof. We see here, you read that psalm. And you think about that. And then consider Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 17. They talked about he who is before all things and by him all things consist. You know what that means? That the Lord God Almighty holds it all together. If God ever took his hands off of the creation, it would go poof, just like that. But God holds it. Who holds it? God holds it in his hand. With that in mind, we come to this in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. It said that there are always going to be seed time and harvest, winter and summer. Did you get that? Seed time and harvest, winter and summer. You know, that sounds like four seasons, doesn't it? It's going to have a spring. We're going to have a summer. We're going to have a fall. We're going to have a winter. If I had it my way, we'd have a summer. We'd have a summer. We'd have a summer. We'd have summer. And I see that there's some people here that like to have the rain and some don't want rain. Some want it hot, some want it cold. But you see, here we find it very true. God said there's going to be four seasons, four basic, shall I say it, climates. Four of them. He's ordained it. And in the book of Isaiah, God established a pattern to take care of everything. When you consider what he says in Isaiah 55, he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than yours, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven returneth not there, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Who in the world has established this kind of a system? God did. God did. He put it all together. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 14, verse 15 through 17, I'm not going to read those, but it says there, it says that God has established the boundaries. And God is the one who sends a rain. God is the one who's in control. Now, I ask you this question. How many believe what I just said? Let's see. If you believe that, then I dare say, what are we worried about? You'll understand why I say that. Because, you see, the scripture tells us about a liar in the book of John in chapter 8 and verse 44. It says that Satan is a liar and he's the father of... Lies. And in John chapter 10 and verse 10, it tells us that his aim is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I want you to know that this pattern that exists today is a pattern that has existed from the beginning of time when God established it. Here's the pattern Satan's pattern from the beginning. It is this in the book of Isaiah in chapter fourteen it tells us here this is about Satan, this is about his great fall. He says, How art thy fallen from how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground? Who didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet thou shalt be brought down to show to the sides of the pit. Now I want you to see what I just read. First of all, we see here the pattern is, that he seeks first to dethrone God. He dethrones God. He pulls God down to his level. Then he deifies himself. And then he deceived a multitude. As you study the scripture, you'll find that one-third of the angels were deceived and followed him in his journey that he was going to exalt himself. And then you see it dishonest gain. This pattern exists. Why was he doing all of that? For his own gain and his own power to exalt himself. And then you see his destiny is doomed. Now this pattern existed from the very beginning when Satan fell. We had he dethroned God, deifies himself, deceives multitudes for dishonest gain, and the destiny will be his destruction. That was the pattern in heaven. What's a pattern then on earth? Most of us are familiar with Genesis in chapter 3. In Genesis in chapter 3, we find there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, we find there when, when Satan tempted Eve in the garden. And he said that you'll be like God if you eat this. And in that text, as you're familiar with in Genesis 3, you'll see that one of the things he did, he set out to do what? Dethrone God, going to pull him down, going to deify man, you're going to be like God, and to deceive her, so the deception. Now, I want to throw in one little caveat here. Adam was not deceived. But you know what Adam did, though he wasn't deceived, He knew the truth, but he went along with it anyway. That's a point to be thought about. He knew the truth, but he went along with it anyway. And why did this happen? Satan's agenda for dishonest gain. What was he going to get out of it? Satan was going to gain power over the kingdoms of this earth. So we find here the pattern that existed in heaven is the same pattern that existed here in the Garden of Eden, dethrone God, deify man, de- deceive the multitudes for dishonest gain. The same thing. And it had its destiny, was a horrible destiny, and we see the, the, actual, the results of that sin and death has taken place. And as a result of that, we see here all kinds of disasters have taken place. Well, so that we've seen the pattern in the heavens, a pattern in the beginning on earth, now the pattern today. The pattern today is the very same thing. And what I'm going to talk about is the old religion repackaged and given a new name. And we'll call that name climate change if you want to. What's climate change all about? We dethrone God. God is not in control anymore. Now, I would have us to remember that God never gave man dominion over the climate. He gave dominion over the earth to till it, to tend it, to care for it, but he never gave man dominion over the climate. To do that, he'd had to control the sun and all the earth, and the moon, and the stars. He had to take. No, God never gave that to man. To dethrone God. In the book of Romans in chapter 1, in verse 25, it says this that man got to the point there, I'll try to find it. Quickly, he said this. He says, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creatures more than the creator who is blessed forever. Worship and serve the creature, but they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Dethrone God. Bring God down and then what? We're going to deify man. Think of the arrogance. The Arrogance that man can say, we control the climate. Give me a break. If we could control the climate, we'd have massive wars around the world. You'd have a war in this church. Sunshine, rain, cool, hot. No, 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 God never gave that to man. to deify man, to dethrone God. That's exactly what we hear. And then it is to deceive multitudes. To deceive multitudes. Somebody said if you tell a lie often enough and long enough, people will begin to believe the lie. And I've got to tell you, this stuff is being pounded down our throats All over the world, I'm not just talking here, all over the world in the media, in our schools, in our workplace. You can't find any place that this isn't being shoved down our throats. You turn on the TV and if you want a job, you better be saying that. Remember Adam? He went along with it. Why? To get along. He knew better. And I believe there's a whole lot of people in that group who are not deceived, but they're going along with it anyway because that's their job. I spoke to a young man at McDonald's this morning. He's a sophomore, going in to be a sophomore in high school. He remembers being in the fifth grade. He said there was a meteorologist who came into the fifth grade and told him that massive parts of the United States are going to be flooded by water by the year 2050. 2050. And the fifth grade, they were teaching that. I went to uh, Dunkin' Donuts, you get the idea. I go to a lot of places. Well, that, that's a visitation program, you know. A lot of people go there to McDonald's. I don't have to go knock on the door. I wait for them to come in there and I sit down and I attack them. you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, there at uh, Dunkin' Donuts, I asked the uh, young girl, she's in high school, I asked her, I said, you know, is there anything that I might be able to pray for you about that's on your heart, you're concerned about? And she shocked me. She shocked me. Well, I'm really concerned about climate change, and I—if—if if, if my jaw dropped, like, really? You're concerned about climate change? I said, well, don't worry about it. God's got that under control, and I uh, talked to her for a little bit more, but I was concerned. That we're getting at in our schools, in our media, in the UN, the United Nations, and in our government system. The government system, our government is proponent of that. And the governments around the world are proponents of that all over. We see multitudes are deceived. This is a worldwide issue. In the book of Job, in chapter 1 and verse 10... It tells us there that that God removed the restraints for Lucifer, if you recall. Lucifer said, I can't get to him because you won't let me. God says, okay, I'll peel it back just a little farther. Well, I do believe with all of my heart God has peeled it back a little farther in our day and age. I do believe that, that there's multiple reasons for believing that. But if you needed one more good reason, how low can you go when you can't determine whether a person is a male or a female? Even in this state, our governor had in the education system a proposal. Some of you have seen it maybe on the advertisement they had for a while. Proponent teaching little kids that, you know, doctors don't always get it right and they don't know. You don't know whether you're a male or a female until you get to be older. And I'm thinking, you've got to be crazy. How crazy are we? Really, how crazy are we? And how can we ever get to this point in our society except God has removed the barriers and to this point, and they've become more bolden than they ever have before in my lifetime. So yeah, we're facing those in-time kind of events. I uh, saw a quote, and it talked about uh, well, I'll share that in a second here. Um, why is this going on? Those who are advocates, not just here in this country, but around the world, in other nations, for dishonest gain. Remember what I said, the pattern from the beginning, dethrone God, deify man, deceive multitudes for dishonest gain. Dishonest gain. And many of those, those who are the advocates of this, who know better, they're living lives of luxury and demanding that you live a life of poverty. One person responded to a person who flies around in her personal $72 million jet. She says, why do I have to use paper straws while you pump out tons of carbon in order to take a little trip to Palm Spring. Just think about that. We also have these advocates of this, and they're not putting solar panels on their house and windmills there. And They're going around in their yachts, their private planes and jets, and prospering in positions and power and prominence. And in fact, if you've been paying attention to the news in Sri Lanka, have you paid attention to what happened in Sri Lanka? In Sri Lanka, they—they they were the elites were praising the leadership in Sri Lanka because a year ago Sri Lanka said, we're going to do away with all of the fertilizers and all of this stuff and we're going fully green. We're going into this climate change. We're going to really fall at that altar. And in one year, it has devastated their economy. The people are starving. They don't have food and they, things are being destroyed. And what was Satan's agenda? He came To steal, he stole their wealth. He came to destroy, he's destroyed their nation. He came to kill, and people are dying. And Satan's going, I've got it my way, I've got it my way. They're going to worship at my altar, I've got it my way. But we know there's a doom. That's not the end. Why do I say that? Well, we see the destiny of the false religion. The destiny of the false religion and the one who's a proponent of it, as you find in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, it talks about how that Satan and his false prophets are going to be cast into an eternal lake of fire. They will forever be conscious and alive, but yet cast out into eternity and never, ever, ever be able to get back. And those who embrace it who are spiritually lost are going to be following in their steps. I asked that question, the scripture actually asks the question in Mark eight thirty six. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What if they did manage to gain the power over the masses to weaken the others that they might be able to exalt themselves in great positions of prompt and power? What does it matter if they got it? You know, I don't know much about George Soros, but one day George Soros will die. Except that man repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be in hell alive forever and ever and never. Will he be out again? And you'll have to ask himself, I guess, was it worth it? A million years from now, was it worth it? I got 20 years of fame, fortune, and power, but I've got multitudes of timeless time lost forever. Was it worth it? Which brings me to our duty. What can we do? Well, first of all, we need to remember what he said in Philippians 3.18. The Apostle Paul said that he wept for those who are the enemies of the cross. And I thought, why did he weep for these people? They made his life miserable. They threw him in prison. They beat him. They caused him to be shipwrecked. They caused him lots of pain. And, but yet he, he was weeping for them. Why? Because. He said they were, their God was their belly. They lived solely for this world, and they had no shame. And I think that describes to a great degree many of the advocates of this whole climate agenda that know better. It's all about what can I get out of this. But he wept for them because he saw their eternal demise. You know, there's a lot of people that you and I might say we don't like. But I doubt if anybody in here sees anybody that you dislike so much that you want to see them to go to hell forever. They need to repent. They need to believe. So what's our duty? In light of all this this depressing message, thank you, Pastor, for letting me depress everybody. So in light of this, what is our duty in these end times? Well, first of all, we need to recognize what we are experiencing this day. Is the last days, we are involved in a great spiritual warfare. This is a great spiritual warfare that we're involved with. We have to recognize it. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, it tells us there that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in the high places. It says, Yes. We have to contend with the flesh and blood. But recognize the power behind the flesh and blood. There's a spiritual agenda. There's a spiritual movement behind this. We need to recognize it. So what did he say? He said, "We're well, supposed to put on the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, our feet shod with the preparation, preparation of the gospel. What's that mean? That means, well, one, we need to know the truth. What is true? Two, we need to practice right living in our life. Three, we need to exercise faith in God's word, the sword of the spirit, use faith. And then we need to be prepared to stand and to share. The book of Proverbs says it like this. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, I have found this in my own personal life, my own personal witness experience. You'll find that a new believer, oftentimes, people will kind of laugh at him, mock him, try to belittle him. Say, hey, 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 look at you, old real Christian guy. You know, and they tend to laugh. But, you know, when you stand up on your own two feet and you say, look, I believe this, folks, then you'll find they begin to back off. They become fearful. Why? Because you're bold. And you know what, if we stand up and we retain our boldness in the Lord and stand on that which is right and say, I am not going to back down, this is the truth, they will be intimidated by that. And they are. Now, so what do we do? The pattern for us is found in the book of Acts in chapter 4. If you recall in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin. And the cancel culture was in existence in that day. Because the Sanhedrin said, don't you talk in this man's name anymore. Have you heard any stuff like that? You can say what you want, but don't you say that. Don't you say he, or don't you say she, you're going to be out of here, or whatever. You know, this council culture existed then too. And they said, don't speak in his name anymore. So what did he do? Oh, well, I'm sure Peter and John said, well, they told us not to speak. No, you know they didn't do that. But what they did is what we need to learn from. They called the assembly together. They were in one accord. They were unified. And in that accord they prayed. What are the things that they did? In their prayer, first, they recognized God is sovereign. They recognized the sovereignty of God above all else. Secondly, they acknowledged that God was fully aware of the situation that they found themselves in. Thirdly, they responded by acknowledging, we are your servants. Notice what they didn't do. They didn't say, Lord, change those people over there and fix this and fix that and fix him." And that Sanhedrin bunch are a bunch of wicked folk. They didn't do that. But what did they as servants say? They sought the power of God that they might be able to be bold to stand to bear witness of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they did. And as Scripture says, they were filled with the Spirit of God. And they spoke with boldness. And they saw fruit and more and more people responded. So what are we to do as we get closer to the sound of the trumpet? We should do the same thing. We should not listen to the council culture. Are we going to obey God or obey men? That's a question we have to ask. Two, we need to recognize that God, you are sovereign. You know it all. Three, God, this is a situation that we live in today. It's here. It Doesn't mean I ignore it, but I recognize it. Four, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, and by your grace, Lord, help me stand. Help me stand to be bold, to speak truth in the face of the lies. Don't surrender to the lie. Speak truth to the lie. And be ready, because we're getting closer to the sound of trumpets. And one of the things I thought, as you were giving announcements, looking forward to a great vacation Bible school, thank God for your ministry to young people. Let me tell you why. We oftentimes focus and rejoice when people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, come to know Christ as their Savior, and rightfully so, we should rejoice. But the precious little lambs, oftentimes we tend to ignore. Oh, they're just little kids. We don't need to worry about them. We don't need to pay attention to these little kids. We don't need to focus on them. But you know what? Little kids have hearts too. And little kids have tender hearts. And little kids are going to die. I don't know where that age of disparity comes in the eyes of the Lord, but I dare say that there's a lot of kids who, maybe at 12 years old, I wouldn't put an age on it, but at some young age have died and gone off into eternity because nobody cared for them. And the fact that you take time to invest time, energy, effort in the youth, in the children, is probably one of the greatest assets that what you will accomplish In the work of the Lord that will make a difference for eternity. So today, that is my challenge. It's a call to action and that makes me a fish going upstream against the current in our world today. I will stand by what I said. I'm not a scientist. Neither is our Supreme Court Justice, I guess. I should stop there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, you are God. And we said we believe all of those things that I read in introducing this message. Lord God, If we believe those things, then that which we are hearing from our world is lies. So Lord, help us. Help us to stand to speak truth. And above all, to be bold and reach out to those who don't know you and encourage the saints that do know you who are being deceived. They're believing a lie. But nobody's told them different. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to give me you've given me to speak. Thank you that the pastors allowed me this opportunity to come and share and continue to bless and bless the VBS and the weeks to, the couple of weeks to come and the current ministry that they have in our community in Jesus name. Amen.